in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, John Flack, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies, then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my co-host, Brian Fry. Brian, how are you, sir? Good evening, everybody. We're doing great. And who else is joining us today, Brian? Uh, this is a good friend of mine from college. Uh, his name is Aaron Kendall. And uh, how are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. First time on the show. Where are you uh, calling in from? Washington, right? Yeah, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill. That's right. And uh, you're a journalist, right? I'm actually doing PR. Um, went to the dark side for a retail <laughs> grocery chain. So let's get to know you a little bit better with your movie preferences. I'm going to ask some hard-hitting, deeply personal questions here, and uh, let's see if you're up for the task. What movie got you the most choked up, Aaron? Every time I see the movie Glory, I cry. Uh, when they have the fireside chat and Denzel Washington does his speech, it gets me every time, no matter how many times I've seen it. Mm, that's, that's a good one. I, I can actually kind of commiserate with that. Sob fest, that one. Yeah, man. That's yeah. The end of or there's several parts in that movie that are that are solid, solid punch to the gut. Yeah, there are plenty of dude movies out there that make people cry. So, (laughs) uh, I think the ultimate uh, guy answer is sometimes is Rudy. (laughs) You know, I've still never watched that movie end to end. And then, and then after they uh, say Rudy, then they go back and they're, uh, you know house and then turn the lights off and watch the notebook alone at home and go it's just (laughs) so what movie have you uh seen more than any other movie in your life would you say uh last of the mohegans uh that's a movie that um anytime it's on ifc amc whatever channel i'll stop and watch it i have to admit i've only seen it in like halfway through on TV. So I've not gotten to finish it. It's still one of those movies that I hate when I don't make it through a movie. It wasn't by choice, but uh, I hope to make it through at some point. I, I, I do recommend it. It is a very long movie, so you do have to budget some time accordingly. Yes. And so when you're adding commercial breaks, it makes it harder. So, um, mm. What movie ticket do you most regret purchasing, would you say? I got up and walked out of, and I don't do this often. I hardly ever walk walk out of a movie, but Spider Man Three with Tobey Maguire, I couldn't. <laughs> I've seen. I just couldn't yes. do it. I had to leave. Yes. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. What is this? So. So it was when he goes. He's infected by venom, and he goes to the dark side. Then. Yeah, yeah. It was. There was yeah. I just didn't. Wasn't feeling it. That there, there are many people who this is, uh, this is the low point for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. My, maybe for the Marvel Universe. 
I I I have contested for years that Tobey Maguire was the worst thing to ever happen to Marvel. Well, I'm going to come to Tobey Maguire's defense on that one. I I I really liked him as my Spider-Man, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I didn't like him in one or two, but three hit a nerve for some reason. No, it's true. The the, the series ran out of gas, and I, you know, it's one of those things. Too many people, uh, too too many investors, too much money, too many people telling them how to do the job, and it it mm. didn't turn out very well. I think everybody involved would agree. But today, what are we going to do, Brian? What's what's today's movie? Oh, we're going to talk about Bill and Ted and their excellent adventure. That's right. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure comes out in 1989. It costs $10 million to make. It grosses $40.4 million, so big profit. Uh, it places in the box office that year 32nd uh, for a low-budget movie. Pretty strong showing. It places behind Three Fugitives at 31st on the year, and it places ahead of The Karate Kid Part 3. Uh, the number one movie that year, if you're wondering, was Batman with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Love that movie. And IMDb, Solid. yeah, IMDb rates this 6.9, and Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it 78%, and the audience score gives it 75%, so Rotten Tomatoes likes it a little more than IMDb. So, I want to ask you guys, what's your background with this one? Aaron, have you seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures before? If so, when, and what was the last time you are seeing it? I have seen it before. The last time I saw it, it might have been uh, with Brian. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in Morgantown at, <laughs> at some point. Yeah, there's a very good chance we watched that. Now, our, the memory of the evening could be splotchy based on other activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was a little bit fuzzy, so it was kind of I came kind of came into this with a with a clean palate, if you will. So these are Morgantown memories, which are fuzzy. Yeah, best yeah, kind. Exactly. <laughs> this, this is a polite way to put it. So what was your experience the first time? You're just too fuzzy to even take a fair uh, fair indication on this. So what are your thoughts? Well, I actually loved it as a kid, which is why I was excited to do this as a review. But, you know, I was, a, I was pretty young in 1989, so I don't remember all of the finer plot points. Uh, and I think I liked the Bill and Ted as characters more from the Saturday morning cartoon than anything that I actually remembered in any of the movie franchises. So I had fond feelings of, you know, uh, retro 80s coming into it. And um, I thought that it held up pretty well. I'm glad you mentioned the Saturday morning cartoon because somehow I forgot about it for a long time. And then in studying for this, I came across it again. And I totally watched it as a kid and I really enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about that. So a little bit of nostalgia for the cartoon myself. What about you, Brian? Uh, What was your first time seeing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I remember watching it uh, like on weekend afternoons at home and it was, it kind of turned into one of those movies I just put on while I was doing other stuff. I've got to say that this, the movie itself rings a little bit like dumb and dumber for me does. And I don't mean that in terms of comparing the two, but where some of the hilarity of it has been lost on me with age I rewatched it and there's still parts where I'm like, Oh God, that's awesome. But overall, like there were parts of it that I was like, eh, yeah. Okay. Or it could just be, could just be too many runs. I don't know. Interesting. I probably first saw this one when I was probably around four or so, which probably would have put it around the time when it would have come out that or maybe six when the bogus adventures come comes out, which was this follow up. And I saw both of them. 
I loved them and I loved the TV show that went with it, as Aaron mentioned. And so I really enjoyed this one throughout the years. It has a tendency to come on TBS or TNT or, uh, sorry, not TNT, uh, maybe Comedy Central. Anyway, it, it comes on and it has an uncanny ability to hook me from the middle. I usually don't get, uh, I usually resist coming in in a movie midway through. I usually get hooked at the beginning, but this movie... I'll just come in the middle and I'm, 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 I'm stuck for the rest of the way. And that's a really good moment for a movie. So for me, I, I love this movie. It is just a fun romp. It's not absolutely hilarious. It doesn't make you go around quoting the movie and have tons of lines that just make you remember it. And that depth might be what you're getting into, Brian. But to me, it's just one of those 80s comedies that's just so preposterous and dialed up and out there. I don't see a lot of movies like that anymore. So... Uh, it's really fun to return to this one. Absolutely. Before we go further, I wanted to mention that we're going to have to spoil Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in order to talk about it more. And we'll be back after this break. This is John F. Kennedy, your 35th president of the United States. Here to talk to you about a matter of utmost importance in this pivotal time. My fellow Americans, ask not what your podcast can do for you, but what you can do for your podcast. We ask you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or the other sources of your podcast. Subscribe to the show, give them a five-star review, and comment on the show. I challenge the listeners to like Retro Movie Roundtable on Facebook and write the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. We ask the listeners to do this not because these things are hard, but because they are easy and they help grow the show and improve it. Let us not speak the Republican podcast or the Democratic podcast, but the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Thank you, America. Welcome back. Once again, we will be spoiling Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. And to help us do that, Aaron, why don't you refresh people's memories in case they haven't seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures in a while? Sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Bill and Ted are two high school buddies at San Dimas High School. They start a band, Wild Stallions. Bill finds out that he's not doing so well in school. His father's of the old school type, disciplinarian. And he finds out that he needs to ace the final presentation or he's going to be shipped off to military school. And then Wild Stallions won't be able to have the critical acclaim that they are hoping for. But don't worry, Rufus, time-traveling George Carlin, comes to save the day in his time machine that is a very Doctor Who-like time machine phone booth <laughs> sorry <laughs> so then they start their most righteous adventure they pick up space-time hitchhikers including joan of arc genghis khan abraham lincoln napoleon socrates billy the kid and sigmund freud antics revolve around them somehow getting into medieval england uh, there's a love tryst that involves two princesses the phone booth time machine is damaged but they escape in the nick of time they get back to San Dimas, they slay the final presentation in full 80s glory, and humanity is saved. As an added treat in the final, in the closing act, Rufus brings the medieval babes back into the 80s San Dimas, and they close on them riffing pretty poorly to music, but Rufus tells us that they do get better, and an ode to the second and third movies in the franchise. Well, for 80s hair metal, they sounded pretty good at the time, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, they were very on-trend. They were on-trend genre. So it's a remarkably simple movie, really. It's interesting. 
I guess perhaps because I'm thinking of it being a time travel movie that is also a fun adventure. How would you compare this one to like Back to the Future from which is just comes out four years prior to this and must have still been in the people's minds at this point? Aaron, what do you think about comparing again Back to the Future, even just the first movie, not necessarily the whole series of them, to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? They definitely have some parallels from a a time travel paradox. I think Bill and Ted's is just very straightforward and linear. You know, there's echoes of the actions that the characters and back to the future, you know, through the, through, through the future, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah, it does. I, I, you know, back to the future puts a lot of thought into the, as you mentioned, the time paradox and, you know, what are the rules of time travel and there's consequences and Bill and Ted, don't really seem to have a lot of consequences uh, to what they're right, doing. Right. So they're not messing up past by pulling these people out of them and going for a joyride. Going to the future doesn't seem to ca- cause them any trouble with learning too much about themselves. And they plant keys. They talk to themselves, which, again, in Back to the Future, that's a big no-no. Don't talk to yourself at a different timeline. So Very good. Did anybody else start thinking a lot about like Encino Man when you were watching this? For some reason, <laughs> that's the movie that kept popping into my head. That's interesting. What, where do you, uh, other than just being of a similar era, and where is the similarity and overlap for you on that? It just well, the the style like Back to the Future was a comedy, right? I mean, there were very comedic aspects to it, but it's also a it's kind of a dramedy, I guess you could say. Uh, but this is really meant to be more of a pure comedy, which is what Encino Man was, and just that kind of like knucklehead. Duh, you know that, and then the SoCal kind of lifestyle that was happening—that's why it kept sticking out. And I was like, "Man, I need to watch Encino Man again now." You know, in preparing for this movie, I'll, I'll draw one more comparison. This is much later, but the idea of two idiots bumbling through a science fictional uh, plot device—I should say—Dude, uh, where's my car? Comes up often, and uh, I probably mm-hmm. love that movie more than I should, but uh, I enjoy it in the same way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that's a string of movies that you can kind of pinpoint. I mean, we talked to, or I had mentioned Dumb and Dumber. There's Bill and Ted. You've got Dude, Where's My Car? I feel like that's a common theme used in comedies is two guys who are kind of stupid going on an adventure, basically. This one just happens to be excellent. That's interesting. I wonder how far back that goes, because normally, traditionally, you used to have a straight man with a funny person. You know, like Lucille Ball had Ricky, you know, I mean, you know, there was, you know, even the Three Stooges had like Mo was like the serious one and he does ridiculous things. The Marx Brothers, they have, uh, Zeppo's really not that funny. I mean, he's, you know, he's there for the others to play off of. So I wonder how far back. Tucker had Jackie Chan. Yeah. I wonder how far (laughs) back you could go to find just two idiots together. It's an interesting thought. I haven't, I haven't traced that one back. Well, if you go back far enough, you find three idiots together. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, though, uh, well, you know, before we get into it too far, Brian, why don't you give us a rundown of the cast? Absolutely. All right, so you're going to hear some names you've heard of before on this one. So if you aren't really familiar with all these characters, you can really look look for them in future works because they're all fairly prominent now. Uh, Keanu Reeves is Ted Theodore Logan. Alex Winter is Bill S. Preston Esquire. George Carlin plays Rufus. Terry Camilleri plays Napoleon. 
Dan Shore is Billy the Kid. Tony Steedman is Socrates. Yes, I did that on purpose. Uh, Rod Loomis is Freud. Al Leong is Genghis Khan. Jane Wilden is Joan of Arc. Robert V. Barron is Abraham Lincoln. Clifford David is Beethoven. Hal London Jr. is Captain Logan. And Bernie Casey is Mr. Ryan. From there on out, we get into the quote-unquote mom characters and such. I think that you got to mention Amy Stoke for uh, Missy slash uh, Ted's mom. I'm sorry, Bill's mom, which is... Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. That, that was something that was a plot device, I forgot. I don't, I don't know if uh, you got... I, I was pleasantly surprised when I came back to this. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it. Bill's mom's hot. I think yeah. at the time or like the last time I really like remember watching this, that probably didn't have the import. It should have. <laughs> it gave me a chuckle. Right. It gave me a chuckle that he went to the prom with her. That one, mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot that. that remember when I asked for the prom? <laughs> yeah. That is a pretty big uh, slight to your friend. It's like, it's like, Dude, never you can't, you can't talk about that. Was it it? I mean, come on, man. He got kicked out of his own room, so <laughs> like that was. I don't remember that part either, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> yes, he did get chewed out. Uh, so it's interesting that you mentioned Encino Man as being one that you thought of this because. Polly Shore was one of the hundreds of actors who went out for the role of Ted. So uh, Ted ultimately goes to Keanu Reeves. But uh, can you picture Polly Shore in this one, Aaron? Absolutely. I could see Polly Shore in it. He'd be a little bit more obnoxious, I imagine. I don't know if the if the movie would hold up as well, or maybe it maybe it'd be a totally different experience. But um, I like like you said with Encino Man or Biodome. You could kind of just plug that character, you know, in, in, in the army into now. this world. Yeah, I really exactly. Like, he's a little more serious in this one, but my favorite one is uh, Son-in-Law. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other other fun recasts or near castings, I should say. River Phoenix and Sean Penn, and then upcoming actor Brendan Fraser, who's also an Encino man, purportedly auditioned for Bill. So you could have had Pauly Shore and Brendan Fraser in the same movie. And it's just funny that Brian said that Encino man for this one. So I feel like this is a very common, like this is the kind of comedies that were coming out in that time. Like I, I feel like you could probably draw a lot of parallels between what was popular in terms of the young adult comedy genre at that time. Keanu Reeves is 22. Alex Winter's 21 at this point in time. And uh, that's older than a high school student. But in some ways that's, uh, better than a normal Hollywood production where they get somebody who's 28 and 31 to do it. I guess good on them for that. It's funny. Uh, originally, Alex Winter auditioned for the role of Ted and Keanu Reeves auditioned for the role of Bill. So does this movie change if you flip Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter in their roles? What do you think, Aaron? Huh? To me, I can't even imagine that. I, I just see the same characters with different names. <laughs> like... I I think with their the way they portray their intelligence level in this, you probably could swap them and have them do the same thing. I bet if you had shown me this movie, swap their characters and their situations. So you're saying Alex Winter is the one going to military school if he fails. I'm not sure if I would have noticed. That's a good point. Yeah, I think they're fairly interchangeable. And actually, the writers even when they wrote the script, 
didn't say whether it was Alex uh, Winter or Keanu Reeves' part. I should say whether it's Bill or Ted. They just wrote the parts. And so they had to kind of just go back and forth and take turns. And frequently they have them both speak in unison. A lot of the time in this movie, they say the same things at the same time. And it's more than just a excellent. <laughs> I can see that. I totally believe it. So Keanu Reeves has done a lot of movies, but for me, he always has this like surfer dummy kind of thing. Like even when he slips into other roles, like there's a little part of me that goes like, I don't know, like one of the roughest ones for me on Keanu Reeves was Dracula. Like I remember him being in old England over there and just like me, like slapping my forehead going like, how did they let this happen? This is awful for him. I mean, I like him and I don't even want him in this movie in a way. I see him in Bill and Ted. And I'm just like, and then I watch Dracula. I'm like, ah, you got Ted playing uh, Jonathan Harker from Dracula. Yeah, let me jump in on this real quick because I kind of wanted to talk about this for a minute. So Keanu Reeves has done just a, a huge scale of different work. I'm wondering if you took him out of this. Let's say uh, you go back in time and Polly Shore gets the part for this. So he did not do any of the Bill and Ted stuff. Okay. Crunchy. <laughs> then he did Bram Stoker's Dracula. Would you still have a problem with that? Well, I mean, Point Break is going to bring a little part of it. Like I said, I said, you know, also there's the parenthood, uh, which also he's playing another character very similar to Ted in the early going to. Uh, again, well done. Uh, and he's really good at this, by the way. I just want to say it's not a slight when I say he sometimes falls short in his dramatic roles. Because he doesn't in an action role, and he definitely doesn't when he's just goofing off and being a, a fun-loving dummy. In fact, I'd like to say that I wish he hadn't totally lost touch of that. Because later in his career, I think he tries to distance himself from being, you know, the, uh, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, but, but I guess that's my point. Like, so much got made out of him doing this earlier roles and him kind of, be, uh, kind of being typecast as as one thing and then to go into doing Bram Stoker's Dracula much to do about nothing and then eventually into speed which speed it worked for it because he was kind of like an action you know hero kind of thing but I'm just wondering where his career would be right now if he hadn't done Bill and Ted just because people always mention Bill and Ted and his like airheadier earlier work. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I like it. Go ahead. I'm not sure, but I, I think I want Keanu Reeves in real life to be more like Ted than any other role. Like I just want, I just want that fun loving guy to hang out with at the bar. I get it. I love the John Wick series, but I would like another series that's not John Wick. So like Jonathan Click. Uh, where he is basically Ted, but he still kicks a lot of people's butts and he's a really good action hero, but he's a fun-loving person who's into it. He's like, you know, beating people up. And he's like, excellent, out the window, nice. So basically it's Michelangelo meets John Wick? Yes, that's a good comparison. And he could eat pizza like that. That would be nice. So I want to toss this out here too, just because I saw this recently and laughed so hard I cried. Um, if you have a chance, go on YouTube and check out, uh, just type in like John Wick with Nerf guns. And these guys have done this John Wick parody with Nerf guns that is just fantastic. I'm going to have to look this up. 
As soon as we're done with this, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> no, it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with Keanu Reeves. It's basically the the fighting style cinematography of John Wick using Nerf guns. So it's good camera work, dramatic uh, yeah. shooting, but then, you know, using Nerf guns. I love it. It's like the first thing that comes up. You just do John Wick Nerf. It's the first thing. For some reason, it also draws to my mind of like, uh, what if Super Mario were in the real world and it shows a guy in overalls and a mustache, like, you know, going down into the sewer, eating a mushroom, but he gets sick. It doesn't work out for him again. Again, it's real world consequences. That's pretty funny, too. So for some reason, you mentioning that reminds me of that. So. Oh, I totally get it. Aaron, I'll put it to you this way, man. If we had had John Wick and had seen this YouTube video back in college, this is something we would have staged. <laughs> I, I have no doubt. Like a 100% chance we would have tried to yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're talking about the casting here, I think it's an interesting thing. They found Bill and Ted, their actors, uh, while they were on site looking for where they were going to shoot. Across the street at the McDonald's were Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. And they were just there being young guys standing around the parking lot loitering. And they said, these guys look like they'd be good for the movie. And sure enough, that's where they both came from. And like I said, other people auditioned for the role. And these were the guys who got it. That's fantastic. I wow. I, had to, I, didn't know that was, I didn't know that was the origin story of Bill and Ted. That's phenomenal. So like I said, Keanu Reeves might not be acting all that much. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Had, had, I, had I known that, I might have uh, rethought that question. Yeah. Well, what is Alex Winters doing these days? I know they did like a crossover. I think they're actually planning on doing a follow-up Bill and Ted something. But, um, I mean, he acted throughout the you know 2000s. So. Let's see. So he's on the Panama Papers from 2018. He's in uh, Downloaded, which appears to be a VH1 movie. Uh, he's in a movie called Freaked uh, from 1993. These are the things that shows up in his filmography. And he has stayed somewhat active, but not completely active. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's like TV, documentary, short TV series. You know, it bounces around. Yeah, this is, this is definitely what you would know Alex Winter from. Yeah, to- token parts to play pay the bills if it if it uh, helps it add credit to him when i first for some reason saw barry pepper emerging in movies like i want to say like gladiator or the green mile i for some reason in my head thought that that was a grown-up version of alex winter and uh i made them the same person in my head until at some point someone straightened me out much later and be like that's alex winter i was like what really and then i was like oh what did he do they're like nothing <laughs> So I then separated Barry Pepper and Alex Winter in my head at that point. Other fun casting conversations is uh, George Carlin. Initially, they were going out for a much serious actor. Like they were looking for somebody like Sir Sean Connery. But in the end, someone threw out the idea later, even after they started shooting for the idea for George Carlin, uh, a comedian to come in. And honestly, it's kind of an interesting thought. You don't necessarily think we need a funny man for this role, do you? I think he, uh, George Carlin nails it, but he doesn't, he's not cracking jokes. Uh, he's just kind of delivering everything as a straight man. Like you said, doesn't that kind of like, I feel like it really fits the part though, where you have two relatively unknown people being the funny people. And then you actually hire a comedian who's well-known and established to play someone who's not funny. 
like I I feel like that feeds into the show because everybody's waiting for it and waiting for it, but it never happens. It's not what you think of with George Carlin and his uh, blue comedy on this one, but I'll be honest with you, what he's saying is actually quite preposterous. Like this '80s hair band is going to go on and become the foundational undertones of the futuristic society where everything's going great and the future. There's no more poverty or war. Uh, and Wild Stallion has saved us all from this. I like the uh, I like that uh, he's delivering these lines in deadpan seriousness. He was like, "You guys are really important," but again, what he is saying is actually really funny. So it takes skill to not just cut up on this. So uh, in a way, it is funny by being serious. With a straight face, yeah. Yeah, I would com- I would actually make that comparison to like Craig Robinson does this in The Office a lot. He says ridiculous things with a straight face uh he does it in hot tub time machine too he's 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 a master of it absolutely and i think i think it uh lends itself to carlin's style of humor as well yep i think you're spot on i agree with that one more funny thing in the casting is the uh eddie van halen was asked because he was referenced in this movie they kept saying we got to get to make a great band we have to get eddie van halen and so uh, Eddie Van Halen then said uh, after the film release he jokingly said he would have joined their band in the, in the movie if uh, they had just asked him <laughs> that oh, been great. Man. <laughs> oh, what a miss what a miss I know if I had if I had a phone booth time machine that is what I'd do right now is go back in time and make make those two link up just so I could enjoy it this past weekend when I watched this movie I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't mind a third person going through the phone booth with him. And I, I would be okay with Eddie Van Halen going back in time and collecting all these people with him. Yeah. Maybe going back and shredding like a, a mandolin or something like that back in the medieval times. Yeah. <laughs> Coming in at an, un, like, just, you know, total cameo, saving the day at an unexpected time. Whoa. That's Eddie Van Halen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you could throw that in. As a, as the extra scene, they take him back in time. He's a huge hit, and then later on, when he's born, they name him after like the great Edward Van Halen of <laughs> of lore. And ba- and Beethoven also has a famous collaboration with Edward Van Halen. Right. Yeah, that mall scene would have been a lot better, even more right. When you really think about it, there's actually a ton of opportunities to inject more jokes into this time travel than they do. In a way, like I said, it's remarkably simple. Uh, this movie mm-hmm. script was written in four days. When you go back and think about it, there is an opportunity to massage it. So the critical side of my brain says, you could make this a funnier movie or to fine-tune it, put stuff going on in the background. Like if you're familiar with the movie Airplane, how there's always another thing going. There's the joke in the foreground. There's the joke in the background. There's this other thing. There's callbacks to other jokes at other periods and stuff like that. You could you could do a lot of layering and stuff in that this movie, but somehow even though this movie doesn't do any of that, it's still remarkably enjoyable. And I find myself wondering, as a fan of comedy and comedy writing, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how is it I enjoy this so much, and yet there's so little there, so so many stones left unturned. Well said. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with the writers on this one. Uh, we have uh, two characters. Our Bill and Ted are written from screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. They are 
friends who are in a college improv group at UCLA in 1983, and they form these characters for sketch comedy. And they originally wanted to take these characters and put them into a sketch movie, not so different from like Kentucky Fried Movie, which is a series of sketches throughout, not really a official movie. But Chris Matheson's father, who is the writer of I Am Legend, uh, and a very well-known science fiction writer, suggested that Bill and Ted get their own movie, Famous Dad, Got the connections, make stuff happen. Of course, what do you know? Next thing, this movie's turning into a bit of a science fiction in itself. And uh, we have Bill and Ted are time traveling. Indeed. The more I learn about this movie, the the more you know, the more I like it. That's the origin stories of the characters of Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters. And now you have uh, a sketch background. I'm so into it. I think this is one of those things where it would really benefit from like some bonus footage or extra, you know, this is this is why you buy the special edition 20th anniversary DVD so you can have all these extras with tidbits like this. Well, I bought a DVD and do you know what extras I got? Please tell me it was other other trailers for movies that came out around then. Theatrical trailer for this movie and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, i remember getting one i think it was batman returns way back that's our second episode if you haven't gone back to listen to batman returns it's out there but uh i remember thinking this is the worst dvd ever it just has like snapshots from the movie and like still frame like paragraphs of like this is batman the character was written in the 1930s it was really originally drawn by whatever it was like basically the first paragraph of wikipedia and that was it Somehow, this DVD undershot that DVD and just said, I know what they're really going to want. And they even called it that on the menu. They didn't even just, they said special features. So I clicked on it and it said theatrical trailer. I was like, do I, is this one of those weird menus where you have to hit sideways? No. Am I missing something? Is it on another disc? No. Speaking of special features, I want to go the other direction with you. The DVD I bought that had the most excellent special features was gladiator i don't know if you guys ever had the dvd for gladiator but or this whichever one came with all the extra content but there was actually a a hidden special feature with it so it had all of this extra content which was awesome and then if you highlighted the right letter on the top of the screen at one point you clicked it it actually gave you a bonus trailer not of gladiator but of a Wallace and Gromit style movie that came out uh, around the time it was like the chicken and the egg or something like that. Chicken run. And it was chicken run. Yeah. And the entire trailer is filmed using almost the exact dialogue from the trailer of gladiator. So it was like the egg that became a chicken, the chicken that became a man, the man who would lead a rebellion. So basically they did a spoof chicken run preview to look like gladiator but it was legit and it was hilarious it's like the secret song on a cd i like it i like it while we're on this random tangent aaron do you have any blu-ray or dvd features either disappointments or pleasant surprises fear and loathing in las vegas has some really cool features about hunter s thompson and his early works i just remember thinking that it was a, a really great bargain, <laughs> bringing home that DVD. Hunter S. Thompson's a wild guy. But mm-hmm. 
back to the guys who wrote this, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. They actually make appearances in the movie. If you'll recall, Napoleon is taken by Deacon, who is Bill's younger brother, sorry, Ted's younger brother, to eat ice cream at an ice cream parlor with these twin girls. And so he eats all this ice cream and he gets the Ziggy Pig Award. And uh, mm. they come out chanting, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> those guys, those two guys who come out and are laying it on real thick and they're pretty annoying on purpose. That is the writers, uh, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. It's funny because Jess was watching this with me and she was like, I would never eat anything that would then lead to people coming out and chanting Ziggy Piggy and honking at me as I get a button for how much I just ate. Well, Napoleon conquered that. He's, he's a conqueror. He had to conquer that. Speaking of Napoleon, uh, just a little tidbit from the movie. Uh, when he's actually laying out his battle plan and their presentation at the end, that was supposed to be the actual battle plan for Water, Waterloo. Where he where he says I don't think that's gonna work, man. <laughs> uh, he doesn't take kindly to that either. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, that's there's some layered depth there. Yeah, there there really is some depth uh, in this movie. But you gotta kind of like yeah. hunt for it. You're right. So that's that's France's invasion of Russia, which is technically Bonaparte's most disastrous defeat. I like that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> So we have director Stephen Herrick. And Brian, where do we know Stephen Herrick from? So we had previously done a podcast on Three Musketeers, which is one of my all-time favorites. And uh, yeah, so he directed that as well. Uh, You'll also know him from the classic uh, Mr. Holland's Opus and even more classic Critters. Love Critters. Aaron, what do do you think about Stephen Herrick here and Bill and Ted? Uh, Do you like what he's doing? Again, we, we said he keeps it really simple, but it's really fun. Yeah, I think it works. I think the storytelling technique uh, as just a fun, no, you know, repercussions jaunt through time uh, in a lot of ways really helps just let the characters shine in their zaniness. I, I didn't know that he did Critters. I have to confess, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen Critters in its entirety. It's an easy one to like watch on AMC during their like fright fest or something and then get sidetracked doing something else. But that doesn't speak to its actual quality. Just the fact that you probably tuned in 15 minutes late and then, you know, had to do a beer and food run or something. It, it's just one of those things that you're like, ah, it's on when I get back. Uh, when, when you get to Halloween time and you're starting to hit the, the horror movies, you got to throw a couple of funny horror movies in there just just to lighten the mood. You know, otherwise you'll go crazy. I really recommend doing an evening of Tremors and Critters and then go back and listen to our Retro Movie Roundtable episode on Tremors because these movies are... Critters reminds me a lot of Tremors. It's just just goofy fun. That's a oh, great absolutely. It's kind of like um, during Christmas when you watch... Um, uh, where the... Where the um, Bad Santa's a great one, too. Where the uh, German terrorists take over... Die Hard. The, oh, Die Hard? Die Hard, yeah. It's like when you watch Die Hard on Christmas. It's a nice you know, palate cleanser. Then you can dive back into all the gushy family stuff. Yeah, exactly. So Critters is a great change of pace like that. And that's the movie he does in 1986. That's the only movie he does before Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Surprisingly, he does not do Bogus Adventure. And I think it kind of shows, without going too far into the sequel, this movie does look very different than Bill and Ted's bogus uh, adventure. Bogus journey, sorry. 
You know, I, it's funny you said that because Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was actually on TV this weekend on Vice, on the Vice Great channel, by the way. And so I just, I was watching it and I'm like, watching them, you know, back to back like that, it was, it didn't even look like the same franchise, it was shot differently. Of course, it's in the future, so the costumes and everything are totally different. But um, it, had, it had a very different feel. I totally agree. It does. And so here's my question to you. If you had to... So uh, it's worth mentioning now. As Brian said, uh, there will be a Bill and Ted's third movie. They're working on putting it together now. It's slated for a 2020 summer release, and it's called Bill and Ted Face the Music. So my question to you is... Would you go back and get the director, Stephen Herrick, of the first movie, or would you go back and get Peter Hewitt, who directed Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, or would you just get a whole third person altogether to do it? That's a good question. I think you might have to get a new person. I'm, I'm going to sidestep the question by saying <laughs> I'm really excited to see how this turns out, just because... I just hope it does- you, you've I got, just hope it doesn't got, make me sad, that's all. Yeah, I mean, but you got you got Keanu coming off of John Wick 3... And those are just like incredibly like stylized. I, I I can call those movies beautiful. I think it's a cinemagraphic experience to watch a John Wick movie. But you watch John Wick and then you go and you, and you watch him as Bill and Ted, which, you know, look, if you want to talk about full circle or whatever, that's that's fantastic. But I'm really curious because the most recent Dumb and Dumber movie was terrible. Well, Mm-hmm. I could be building up Dumb and Dumber, but I think Dumb and Dumber is a really big set of shoes to try and go back and fill again. I think due to the simplicity of Bill and Ted, it should be they should be able to recapture it, I think. Well, at this age, they should be incredibly successful musicians that have brought about Utopia, right? I'm going to counter that also and go with, what about Clerks 2? Clerks had a lot of magic in it, and I would have said, you should never make a Clerks 2. Leave it where it is. It was so perfect. But then they made Clerks 2, and I like it. Oh, I loved Clerks 2. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think some directors can do it, uh, definitely. Uh, Not saying anything about Stephen Herrick. Obviously, he may be able to do it. I don't know. Oh, he's very available. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I'm game. Like, I'll see it. But man, the trepidation I feel about even attempting is like, oh, okay, here we go. Okay. feel the same way. I'll I'll watch the hell of the movie. I just, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm going into it with low expectations, which I think is the way to do it. Yeah, I'm with you. So Stephen Herrick's career is interesting. You go Critters, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, and another fun-loving, goofy 80s kind of comedy, even though it's in the 90s, is, is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. His career changes, and he gets on the Disney track. He does Mighty Ducks. The Three Musketeers and, you know, 101 Dalmatians, uh, the, the live action one with uh, Glenn Close playing Cruella DeVille, and you got Mr. Holland's opus that he does. So he kind of goes towards the family flicks and the heartwarming side of things. And then for some reason, his career seems to careen into a ditch as he does uh, Holy Man, which was not a good movie for Eddie Murphy either. And then he does Rockstar, which is kind of out of character for most of these other things, other than the fact that Bill and Ted are rock stars themselves. But this is a dramatic Rockstar movie about uh, where Mark Wahlberg actually gets to be in the band that he loves, but then realizes that lifestyle sucks. Uh, by the way, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh movie. It's just interesting. And then after Rockstar, he's relegated to direct-to-video releases. Uh, he did Man in the House with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, which 
was not a big hit, and uh, he goes into TV and maybe, uh, you know, seclusion after that. I just don't understand what happened to Stephen Herrick's career. I mean, you never know what happens behind the scenes. Some stuff becomes very public, like he could have stepped on Glenn Close's toe somewhere, and she just said, never again, you know. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. By the way, I just pulled Glenn Close out of nowhere, and that, that probably has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Her sis doesn't play around. <laughs> get blown up by Glenn Close. I'm, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're thinking this movie is dripping of Southern California Sam Demonis, well, it's actually filmed largely in Phoenix, Arizona. It's kind of interesting. Uh, that's And that's also where they came across uh, Alex Winter and uh, Keanu Reeves at the McDonald's. So it was in Arizona there. But it's interesting. I have to add one little dorky architectural moment. Put my architect cap on. Ralph Haver designed the Phoenix Mid-Century School there, uh, which is actually Scottsdale's Coronado High School. It's distinct for its precast concrete folded planes. And so as they're walking out of this high school, if you're thinking, like, that's a unique-looking high school, it is a unique-looking high school in Arizona. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, really cool. I did think that it was a cool building, that it was very, very, I guess, mid-century modern, but it, it, it really fit the 80s time period in which the opening scene was shot. Like, I, I, I could believe that that was a high school that was the place to be in 19, 1989. And then other architectural moment that I have to mention, man, Ted's dad has the most depressing work environment I've ever seen. The uh, office that they move through that seemingly has no windows. Everything's like gray and like grayish greenish and like dingy yellow. And just it's the saddest place I've like to date. This is the worst work environment I've seen. I run retro movie round table. Do you think that was an intentional? Uh, I'll tell you this much. The 80s is about the pits for architecture. uh, And so you're getting uh, some of it's just the times, but I do think you're right. I think they wanted it to look mundane because I think they want Ted's dad to look boring and like, hey, you've got to be establishment like me and I'm going to ship you off to boarding school so that you'll be like me and I'll, you'll be successful. And really, you look at his life and it's kind of sad. I think it would have been interesting had now that you mentioned that, now that we're going down this path, had they made his house seem mundane also. Yeah, he does have a beautiful house now yeah. that I think about it. Yeah, maybe make him have a worse house. Like, it's okay if Bill has a cool house, but maybe Ted lives in like a really, you know, oatmeal with nothing in it kind of boring house. <laughs> so what do you think about the special effects here, Aaron? We've got some early CGI in the mix. We've got some fake lightning in the mix. What do we think about the special effects? You know, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I, uh, I really thought, I didn't remember the time travel scene where they go through the wormhole being cgi like when you know when i thought back on the movie but it totally was and it kind of worked it wasn't for especially for being as early in computer animation as it was it was believable uh especially with the you know everybody riding the phone booth like a canoe (laughs) shtick that was going on at the time Love that. I feel like they added three cables into the same visualizer they used for Highlander when someone got their head chopped off. Ooh, that's a good connection. You know, I I just made this another connection, but do you remember the movie Johnny Mnemonic? Which actually absolutely after this. uh, And it had also uh, early CGI with Keanu Reeves in it. 
But I just remember that I, I watched that just happen to see it on TV, and I just remember thinking that those that CGI was terrible. So <laughs> well, um, I mean, I don't, th- yeah, that's one of those movies that probably isn't very highly regarded that I love dearly. There were there were a bunch of those. Uh, do you guys remember? It was one of Russell Crowe's early ones uh, with uh, Denzel Washington. God, what was the name of that movie? Virtuosity. I've not seen this movie. Okay, so both both of them are ones that I I love just because they're they're kind of techy. Um, you know, Johnny Mnemonic was great because it had Ice T in it and like a dolphin that's like the smartest thing in the world. And I mean, there's just a bunch of fun stuff. The dude with the thumb ring that could cut people's heads off. It was all quality. Somehow, the campy nature of the old CGI has gotten better with age for me. Because if you showed this to me in like 1992 or whatever, I might have been like. I don't know maybe we should have just done this with lights and you know moved a box around some blue screen or something like that but now uh somehow the again campy nature of bill and ted it makes it better right and yeah. uh i'll have to go back and watch rewatch johnny mnemonic i feel like i kind of kicked your puppy there fry so i didn't mean to talk <laughs> no, trash no, it's okay hey, favorite, i, I totally I'll get definitely... it it's it's, su- it's super fair criticism on a movie that was you know it was what it was, but again, given the age I was at the time, and the fact that it was probably an R or R rated movie that I wasn't supposed to be watching, like it just really captured me at the time. And then later on, it just was one of those like heartwarming things, like oh, I remember when that came out. That movie was terrible, awesomely, awesomely terrible. If I recall, Brian, you're just a Keanu Reeves fan in general, though, right? Yeah, there's not a whole lot uh, out there that I wouldn't watch with Keanu in it. Except Dracula. Including Keanu. What do we think about the 80s music in this one, Aaron? I love the music. I thought the soundtrack was uh, totally rad, if you will. It fit the movie. Like I said, that mall jam-out session with uh, Beethoven (laughs) and the the gymnastics class that was happening really... Hit my heart. I felt warm and fuzzy. You know, I somehow wish that they had gone to the future and the music in the future, which was very laid back. I thought it would be funny if it was like again that thrash kind of hair metal kind of stuff, but these guys had found peace in it and had taken a different vibe on it. So it's this like laid back kind of like electronic keyboard kind of thing, and they're all like in their blue crystalline room and stuff like that in the future. I kind of thought, wouldn't it be funny if they were like listening to something that's more, or like something more like Van Halen, where it's like, you know, very boisterous and loud. So this is kind of like your nightmare, Russ. Like the future is a utopia where everything's based on '90s hair metal, '80s hair metal. Uh, yeah. Uh, or eight, I'm sorry, '80s hair metal. Yeah, it sounds like a society that uh, I'm not sure that I understand what it's based on. There, I'm I, I, I'm willing to give poverty and uh, war another chance because uh, I don't <laughs> know that I trust hair metal that much. <laughs> Well, we don't – and forgive me because I didn't watch all of Bogus Adventure, but do we really know how Wild Stallion brought on Utopia? No. Or is it kind of like an opaque plot point? I mean it might have been that they were so terrible that it caused you know, some awakening. And by the way, I just really love how a history report is – this is the crooks 
of everything that's going to undo <laughs> the existence of mankind in the future and everything that we lay our foundation on. So I, I really This is how that. students really feel. It's like, God, if I don't pass this psych test, I'm just done. Everything's ruined. My life is over. Well, again, butterfly effect. You know, if you go back, if you don't do well enough, or if you do too well on certain projects, do you go to a different school? If you go to a different school, do you have a different job? Do you go to a different city? Do you, you know, so sure enough, uh, you know, this goes back to our Mr. Nobody episode that we did earlier. A lot of callbacks. I'm not meaning to do that. It's just, it's just happening organically. The farther we go with the show, the more it happens. But uh, why not? It could, it, everything could come down to one report. And maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger has to come back in time to make sure that John Khan does his history report. <laughs> you know, I stole this line from somewhere, but I used to put it up on a chalkboard outside of the cafe I ran. And it was like, if nobody comes back in time to stop you, how bad of a decision could it really be? <laughs> I like that. I don't, I don't, I don't remember where I got it from, but I used to have that on my chalkboard outside my cafe. <laughs> wow. That's great. So it's time for look for this. I've actually got several of these fun ones. There's a lot of fun trivia on this movie, but Aaron, are there any look for this moments you want to share with people? It was really intriguing for me to find out. The first probably third of the movie, I was trying to find out what band was under Ted's vest. It was a band t-shirt. Oh, yeah. uh, that was a fun puzzle for me. What was the band? Uh, it was Van Halen, if I'm not, if I don't remember correctly. Okay. If I don't, if I remember correctly. Man, Eddie Van Halen should have really been in this movie. Yes, he yeah, did. really should have. Yes, he should have. And of course, the um, freakout scene at the water park with Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just. And the water park is called Waterloo. Yep, yep. <laughs> Can't also, make this stuff. Uh, Brian, look for this. Well, I kind of ruined mine just a little bit because I was going to bring up the Napoleon thing, but um, I would say my my look for this would probably be where they actually go back in time to get Napoleon or accidentally get Napoleon. Uh, the footage uh, from the actual battle is from 1956's War and Peace. Ah, nice, good, good, good catch. That does seem that does seem like it doesn't fit. Yeah, so if you wanna if you if you wanna see more from that battle, <laughs> check out 1956's War and Peace. Hmm. I got an interesting one here. The phone booth itself, the actual movie prop, was given away as a contest in the Nintendo Power magazine, which I used to subscribe to, and uh, it was promoting a new Bill and Ted's video game for the NES, uh, which by all accounts this game's not very good, but. Uh, the winner of the game, so the winner of uh, the contest won the phone booth from Bill and Ted. Does he or she still have it? That I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing that you would have had maybe and carried through like until you're like 25. And then maybe you're like dating this girl and like she moves in. She's like, that phone booth thing's got to go, man. And he's like, no, but I want it. It's the real one from Bill and Ted. She goes, it's, it's got to go. Yeah. Can we just talk about uh, where did Rufus get a phone booth in the year 2690? I can't find one. I couldn't find a phone booth today if I had to. <laughs> That's, <a> great... <laughs> That's an excellent point. I didn't think about that. You know, one thing I didn't mention earlier is that the time machine was originally supposed to be a Chevy van, a 1969 Chevy van. Which, again, Bill and Ted are fascinated with the number 69. But instead, they said that Back to the Future was too in recent memory with the DeLorean. So 
Stephen Herrick, the director, suggested they go with a phone booth because it's okay to rip off Doctor Who, but not Back to the Future. <laughs> right? <laughs> we all know there are only two things time machines can be. Cars and phone booths. Exactly. It was good to see an American model, though, you know, as opposed to the... Uh, the, the TARDIS? Uh, yeah, the TARDIS English version. If the phone booth had been bigger on the inside, I'm not going to lie, even though it's even more of a ripoff, I might like that. Yeah. It was kind of an homage. I, I think I was okay with it, just knowing... And, and you know, it's something that I only caught this time, because I've, you know, I'm more in tune with Doctor Who and have watched some of the seasons. Whereas the first time I saw it, clearly didn't know what it was. Probably escaped me when I rewatched it in college. So that was something that uh, I picked up on for the first time in this in this uh, viewing. As this movie ages, there's some moments like that that are references to other things that are dying out for me a little bit. I know for a fact, now that you mentioned uh, Doctor Who being a reference there, and it is, Bill goes into the phone booth and say and says, let's reach out and touch someone. And I thought, <laughs> that's definitely from something. And I feel like I should be laughing at that. And I looked up that line, and apparently the Bell uh, Telephone uh, System Company, that was their old slogan. So back in 1989, that would have been like, you know, going with a common everyday slogan. So uh, like it'd be like saying, like, there's an app for that. Or like, uh, have you had you your break today? Yeah, or can you hear me now? Exactly. So if you said, can you hear me now in a movie, you might get some laughs. But again, when your kids go back and watch it when they're 20, they're going to be like, I feel like that line's important and I need to look that up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Another good point, man. I'm glad that you looked it up because I, to- I totally missed that. And now that you mention it, I vaguely re- remember that ad campaign. So yeah. in terms of like, advertising history... That's interesting. There's another one that Mary pointed out to me, who, by the way, she loves this movie as well. Uh, we, we, we've gotten sucked into it more than on more than one occasion. Uh, definitely on Thanksgiving uh, break, we ended up watching it twice, I think, at one point. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's another one where Socrates and Bill are philosophizing. And, uh, you know, Bill says, you know, all we are is dust in the wind, which is a Kansas line, which I did know that one. But then Socrates' response is, like sands of the hourglass, such are the days of our lives. Yeah. And I didn't know this, but apparently that is a classic line from the voiceover in a soap opera from Days of Our Lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So I I was quite familiar with that one because spending summers and most off time where my parents were working with my grandmother, Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, all of that. Like, yeah, I'm very familiar yeah, it's just uh, I wouldn't have caught that one without Mary, but I'm glad you guys caught that one. I definitely, I'm wondering, are there other ones that I missed in there? Because, again, Reach Out and Touch Someone just had enough pointing to see. I was like, what's up with that? So there might be a few more in there. If you, if you find any out there, write to us on our Facebook page and let us know. I have one really good last look for this moment. Uh, let's go over okay. under on you guys. Uh, sorry, let's uh, get an estimate here. How many times do you think they say the word dude? in this movie brian 113 aaron i was gonna say 33 so it's gonna be somewhere in between the two i i'd imagine in between's right it's 70 uses of the word dude are in this movie dude. solid yep and less than dude but still a lot of how many times do you think they say excellent i'm gonna go with 28 uh, 46 uh brian's gonna come close it's gonna be 30 
uses oh, of ah, excellent. I'm stuck with 33. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for some superlatives. You ready to hand out some more, Aaron? Sure. Let's start off with you. Who is your MVP of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Uh, I think Keanu Reeves clearly uh, carries the show on his back, I think. But I was also a huge fan of uh, Amy Stoke. Is that how you say it? Missy slash mom? Yep. I thought, she, I thought she really was like an adorable 80s young actress with a really awesome haircut. <laughs> and that would be a conflicting if that was your mother. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Or stepmother. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Stepmother. Yes. And um, so, Brian, who is your MVP? Uh, I'm also going with Keanu. Uh, definitely the first Keanu movie I ever saw. So being a fan, this is kind of the, the, the basis of the love, man. Keanu Reeves may not like me saying this, but despite all the other good movies that he's done, I think The Matrix is the best movie he's been in. But this is the role that I most think of. When I think of Keanu Reeves, it's the role he was born to play. And uh, like I said, sometimes, you know, he's fine in the action movies and the comedy stuff. Sometimes he gets into the drama and it's out of uh, fish out of water for him. But uh, I love the character, Ted, and he's just great at it. So I'm going to go with Keanu Reeves as well. Hard not to. Yep. It was the most bodacious role. (laughs) I say. Best supporting actor, Aaron. George Carlin. Rip. Yep. Solid. Is that is that two for you, Brian? You know, I yeah, I, I was gonna say, but just for the sake of uh, variety, I'm gonna go with Tony Steedman as uh, Socrates. He does a lot without saying much. That's a good one, and uh, more on him later. I'm gonna go with George Carlin as well. His voice somehow it seems so perfect for it, and I'm sad that Bill and Ted. Three will not have him in it because he's no longer with us. Are you kidding? Have you seen what CGI can do these days? That is true. I mean, if you take Robert Downey Jr. from Infinity War and like uh, Samuel Jackson and Captain Marvel, like they can make you. They they can just do it. They they have the technology. Yeah, they brought Peter Cushing back in uh, Star Wars' Rogue One, although it looks a little chintzy. I mean, I'm just. If you have enough money to really pay for it, I think they can put you in the movie. That's true. Who is your hidden gem, Aaron? I thought Joan of Arc did an excellent job, even though she didn't have a line, I don't think. <laughs> I, I enjoyed her performance. Uh, my favorite scene of hers is definitely the aerobic scene where she takes over. Right. Like right. She, she ends up breaking down and not even doing exercise. She's just flailing her arms and like running in place. and like uh, People seem to be liking it. So, yeah, sweat beating off her forehead. I loved it. Yes. So, Brian, hidden gem. Uh, I am going to have to go with uh, Bernie Casey on this one as yes. Mr. Clark, the teacher. Yes. I, <laughs> he, he actually made me laugh almost in every scene he's in in this movie. Uh, the, the first time with just his reaction to the idiocy of Bill and Ted. And then later on, and I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but were you all paying attention to the the grade card he was given all the people who were presenting? Uh, <laughs> I noticed Bill and Ted got Fs initially, but uh, are there any other good marks that I missed? No, no, I mean, this is like at the very end before Bill and Ted, he thinks they're not showing up. And it was everybody else and the one football player is like, San Bernardino rules. 
And if you look at his grade card, it's like C, D, F, F, F. <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's just torching everybody and then Bill and Ted come on. So it's just, I don't know, the guy cracks me up. And then the the then the step the stepmom <laughs> comes in and sits next to him, kind of leading you to believe there was something going on there too. Oh yeah, she's definitely got a how you doing. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I liked Mr. Clark. Plus, uh, Bernie Casey. Oh, he was he was he was one of my favorite, like real small characters in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, I don't know if you guys remember oh, him love in that. It. Yeah, he's he, part of the what he, is it? The tri trilam or not trilams? The yeah, Delta. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> so anyway, I, I like him. I am going to second that and add on Bernie Casey is from our home state of West Virginia. He's from Wyco, West Virginia. I didn't realize that. Yeah. West by God. That's right. West by God. And so uh, Brian nailed it. I, I One thing I really like about uh, Bernie Casey's character as a history teacher, normally the teacher giving the slacker a hard time is kind of demonized or made into a villain kind of like Spicoli is like the good guy and the teacher is like a total jerk and you hate him in Fast Times at Regimont High that's very typical but in this Bernie Casey plays a teacher who genuinely wants the kids to not screw up and he wants them to succeed but he's just like guys I I'm trying here but I can't pass you if you don't at least try a little bit in here you got to give me something so I, I really like that, and he's very likable, and you're right. And maybe it's just the fact that he, in another good movie he's in is Never Say Never Again, which was the Sean Connery uh, Bond movie. We just did some uh, Bond, and I'm a huge Bond fan. So, yes, Revenge of the Nerds and uh, Never Say Never Again make me love him even more in this. So, shout out to yeah. our Mountain State, uh, co-Mountain State friend, Bernie Casey. So, recast, though. Aaron, if you had to take somebody out of this and put somebody else in their shoes, who would it be? I think you gotta replace one of the princesses with Molly Ringwald. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you'd have to give her some more lines, but then uh, I think the redheaded one yeah. got like two lines in it the whole time anyway. So that would be right. an improvement that probably needs to happen anyway. Yeah, but like no British accent. Let's just let her talk in her Valley Girl <laughs> draw. Doesn't yeah. have to make sense. Let's just let's just make it happen. It's the '80s. We don't need to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Putting Molly Ringwald in movies definitely makes me happy. Uh, what about you, Brian? Who are you recasting? I'm going to go ahead and recast Alex Winter's character with one of the other best bleach blonde perms of the time and go with Ian Ziering, who plays Steve Sanders in 90210. Oh, no. Wow. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> like this. <laughs> the whole time I was watching this again, I was like, gosh, he's got that curly perm thing going on hard. And I was like, I haven't seen one like that since 90210. Which came after this. Which he's also, listen, like, don't be too hard on the guy. He is the forefront of the entire Sharknado series. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you hit me where it hurts. So I'm going to hit you where it hurts back. I'm going to go back after your hidden gem. I do like Socrates in this, uh, who's played by Tony Steedman, but... I somehow watched his silent acting and my mind went to the dream team. My mind went to Peter Boyle and, uh, you know, he does a really great job. Everybody loves Raymond and, uh, the dream team though is one of the ones that like comes to my mind, uh, from just a little bit later than this. 
And I think his physical acting, I think he'd be amazing at being Socrates. And again, he has that white hair, bald top kind of thing. So somehow when I saw this guy, he physically reminded me of Peter Boyle. And I was like, yeah, I want to put Peter Boyle in this. It would also be kind of amusing at this point in time if they ever just flat out remade this movie. Uh, just getting some really high caliber star power to play all the people they go back in time for. I'd like that. Yeah, that would be a like fun Socrates movie. would be like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> like just get really like mainstream people with these idiots. Yeah, you're going you're going no way over casting on that one. But yeah, I like that. I'd watch it. Cool. How did Billy the Kid get enrolled out of all the historical figures? I found myself asking the same question. Like, I, I, I actually... There's nobody more important, you know? Yeah. They didn't even card us. Yeah. Julius Caesar? Like, come on. Actually, so it's funny you mentioned this. There were two other characters that were supposed to appear in this movie, and they got cut, and one is Charlemagne, and the other was Babe Ruth. And you're right, Billy the Kid made it through there, and those guys didn't. I have a feeling having Babe Ruth along would have been really funny. Yeah. 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 And I could see him like getting in trouble for like drinking a ton and smoking a cigar in the middle of the mall in the eighties. <laughs> Sorry. So best shot of the movie, Aaron. Well, I, I had written, I had him, um, originally was going to go with the, the pulley water slide, but I feel like that's a cop out cause I mentioned it earlier and we already talked about the amazing mall scene. So, Let's. I, I really want to say when at the end of the movie, whenever they nail the presentation and the 80s gymnasium goes nuts, that that made me feel good inside as well. That is a good one. And I considered that. And actually, you mentioned mine. Mine's going to be the water slide when I just I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go there again. It, it is uh, the first person water slide, the third person like right in front of him. It's a fun scene. What about you, Brian? I'm going to go with probably the entire stage show that they put on. Apparently they had two hours to put that on. Do you like, that's, that's a thing that like they bust them out of jail and in two hours they put on this big history performance that they really have only 20% to do with. It's true. But the, the stage show is going to be my favorite shot. Okay. So very close to Aaron's then. Let's talk about San Dimas High School and their theater department because the lights and sound and smoke effects of their auditorium for a final presentation of high school students was pretty amazing. So your high school auditorium didn't have that? No, oh, man. All right. Audiovisual yeah. department wasn't quite uh, on point like that. That's all right. It was uh, impressive. Ours wasn't either. Ours had an accordion wall in the middle that uh, came apart, which broke two lecture halls into a bigger auditorium hall, though. So uh, it's true. How about that fanciness? It wasn't fancy. And during regular school hours, it was the difference between your English classroom and where the kids and some of the teachers played poker. You could also hear both lectures at one time if you sat in the back of the first lecture hall. So if you wanted to hear like what the health class was doing while you were in history class also possible <laughs> uh anyway what is your best scene of the movie aaron this i guess this could also be considered a shot but i really love the uh medieval it was kind of like a medieval card chase where they're riding on the back of uh, a horse driven cart and their getaway mm -hmm. but it was shot kind of like an 80s uh you know hot rod police chase 
And so I just I thought that was a, a fun scene. And it really broke. It was a little, it was very different from the rest of the uh, act, the rest of the movie, you know, as an action scene. So everyone really stood out for me. That is a good one. And Brian, I don't know about you, but I figure with uh, you having a love for this movie, what did this uh, scene remind you of? Another Stephen Herrick movie, perhaps? Oh yeah, that's that's what I was thinking was uh, just the fact that he does uh, he does the wagon chase very well. In The Three Musketeers, Stephen Herrick has a scene where there's an execution, where the executioners pull off their hoods and are the good guys and break out the bad guy, and then they lead into a scene where they get into, in this case, the Cardinal's wagon and get away. It's a lot more dramatic, and there's a lot more action involved with that one, but it's kind of funny. They're just four years apart, and Stephen Herrick's like goes back to like Disney again. It's like, we need something in the middle of the movie. It's like, uh, let's do the wagon chase again, wagon guys. Chase. Yeah. This axe was a gift to me from the Zarwina of Tokyo. I'm surprised he didn't add a wagon chase into the Mighty Ducks also. Could have been. That could have been there. I'll have to rewatch it. I'm not 100% sure there wasn't. <laughs> there was quacking. I know that. <laughs> Brian, what is your best scene? Uh, I'm going to go with the initial. We kind of touched on it already, but only with a dialogue. But when they first get to Socrates and they are philosophizing with him and they, they quote Kansas and then he quotes a 90s uh well I guess it could still be on I don't know about uh what happens with uh, soap operas these days but he, he quotes a soap opera for me my favorite scene is definitely the mall scene where all the historical figures go off on their own and get in trouble and so I for me I'd love to see more of this I wish we had gotten the historical characters in our time sooner I would like to see them split up across town and maybe groups of them get into trouble on one side of town. The other troops gets them into trouble. And then maybe Billy the Kid has to help them get out of jail in some way. Like maybe he's not in jail with them all. The other thing is, why is Beethoven going to jail? He's just playing piano really awesomely and drawing a crowd into this guy's store, which he would normally like love and be excited to have people in his store. Uh, why is Beethoven arrested? That's a you good point. Me, man. I just know mall security was a lot more serious back in the 80s when, when malls were uh, relevant. <laughs> this right. guy's playing piano too good. Arrest him. But oh. I think, you uh, you know, when you talked about uh, the gang splitting up and going across town, I think you have a pretty good contender for the plot of the, of the new movie. Uh, hey, I, we'll, we'll find out. Like I said, it's called Bill and Ted Face the Music, and we've only got two more years to wait. So uh, looking forward to it. Uh, so change one thing, Aaron. I think I would swap out some of the historical characters. I, we touched on this earlier, but, um, you know, I just think there's we could have done two more hours of this gathering up the historical figures. If you ask me, you know, let's go to the uh, Meiji period and pull some samurai out. <laughs> like, let's get weird. <laughs> I thought Marilyn Monroe would be a fun ad or Andy Warhol. Yeah. Yeah, right, I, totally. Totally. Babe Ruth, like you said earlier. Poncho Audrey v. Hepburn. Yeah. Possibility. They're endless. They got to get a couple more ladies in there. Only jo- Joan of Arc's the only one they brought out with her. If you, if, unless you count the princesses. That's true. That's yeah. true. Again, they barely spoke in the movie. They should. They, the fact that they go on to be in the band means you have to at least develop their characters a little bit more. So. <laughs> I know. I know. That one was a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Brian, change one thing. I think I would have liked to have seen a bit more of the characters from the past in the present. 
Like they kind of did the Waterloo thing with uh, Napoleon and then the whole mall scene. But I think more more antics, like shorten shorten them getting them a little bit and add more antics. That is actually mine as well. Get them get get the historical figures into present day sooner, and by doing so, shorten the acquisitions. Kind of like you know, man. Also true. Uh, what is your best quote of the movie, Aaron? Something strange is afoot at the Circle K, Bill. <laughs> love it. I love that. I love that line. <laughs> it's it's well delivered too. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Brian. If you guys are really us. What number are we thinking of? 69, dudes. (laughs) Really, anything anything that is uttered in front of the Circle K was pretty amazing. Yeah. Or just a montage of the air guitars. (laughs) For me, I'm going to go with the, during the assembly or the school present report presentation freud breaks down ted's psychological dilemma that he's in because his father is apparently uh holding him down because of his own fear of uh failure and that leads to a lot towards ted's aggression and anxiety and he's like whoa it's true all of it and then he asks and he looks over and he asks bill if he wants to he's like you're next and he goes no man i'm fine i just got a minor oedipal complex oedipal <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I might have missed that. I might have missed that the first time. I'm glad you brought that up. It's it's small and it's so minor too. Yeah. And then it flashes back to uh, his stepmother in the crowd, and she's like, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've come full circle, and it's time to give this movie a rating on a five star scale. Aaron, what would you give Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Uh, I think I have to give it five stars. Just uh, it's this nostalgic part of my childhood that aged well over time. I think, and I enjoyed watching it. Brian, I'm gonna go with a solid four stars on this one. This is this is just fun. Like don't don't go into this overthinking or with any agenda in mind. Just just appreciate the 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 dumb fun. I say go in with the agenda of fun. For some reason, I love this movie. More than I probably should. I know that it's not perfect. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot as, you know, as somebody who, you know, just enjoys watching Saturday Night Live and comedy movies, it's my favorite genre. And I'm sitting there thinking like there's so many opportunities to take this and you could do so much with this. But at the end of the day, it's just simple, really good, nostalgic 80s, goofy fun. And I I love it. And I'm going to go with four and a half stars on this one. I, I, I somehow the flaws fade away from me. And the performance of the characters and the preposterous situation and the, you know, it's, it's great. So I'm going to go four and a half stars. In some ways, the flaws make it better. In many cases, that's yeah. true. So, Brian, you gonna, are you ready to help me pick a movie for next time? I'm all set, man. Well, Memorial Day is a little bit later this month. We've done an episode to remember our armed forces back with the Black Hawk Down episode. I thought about some other people who maybe want to get a little bit of recognition with the emergency responders, such as firefighters and uh, EMTs. And so we uh, wanted to honor them and go do a movie uh, that would uh, be along these lines. And so option one, Ladder 49 from 2004. A firefighter injured and trapped in a burning building has flashbacks of his life as he drifts in and out of consciousness. Meanwhile, his fellow firefighters, led by by the chief, attempt to rescue him. Option two, Hellfighters from 1968. 
the story of macho oil well firefighters and their wives. And option three, backdraft from 1991. Two Chicago firefighter brothers who do not get along have to work together in the same fire company while they work together to catch a dangerous arsonist on the loose. I'm going to go with Backdraft, uh, one of my favorite Kurt Russells. It was my first R-rated movie, so uh, it's going to be fun to go back to that. Excellent. Excellent! Excellent. Aaron, thank you so much for... <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate you having you on for your first time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Can I do a plug? Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, the band that I'm in, with our buddy Pete, who also is a West Virginia alum. Our website is don'tstaycursewords.com, and we're coming out with a new album this summer. I like it. That's a good band name, too. I didn't know about this. What kind of music is that? Uh, Don't Say Curse Words. Uh, well, the band's Curse Words, but oh, uh, cursewords.com was taken. <laughs> so. uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, punk rock. Uh, little, little poppy uh, DIY DC scene punk rock. So it's just good times. We don't take it seriously, but I figured if you you got to plug something or you just look lame. So <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, so thank you for coming on, and giving us and sharing in the joy of Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. And check out Curse Words. Uh, I will be checking out because I love all things punk rock. So cool. And Brian, thanks to you as always, man. Always a pleasure. And thank you all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those ratings and reviews help other people find the show, and that's the number one thing you can do to help support the show. It costs nothing and takes no time, and we really appreciate it. Also, give us a like on Facebook. You can follow along with the movies that we're doing. Give us feedback. Tell us whether you like the movie or not. Tell us whether we're crazy. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you want to be on the show or if you have deeper insights to offer. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho.